Welcome to Cars and Kung Fu, a podcast of two entirely different subjects, totally unrelated. I'm your host, Chris Fasini, and I have two co-hosts with me. I have Delmar. How y'all doing? And I have Coven. What's up, what's up, what's up? All right. So, on to today's topics. We're going to do the pandemic special. Uh, Master Delmar, what do you feel... Or how do you feel we have had to adapt and change? Or what have you done to adapt and change during the pandemic now that we're coming back out of it and we're starting recovery? What are some of the techniques you used and, and how all did that did that work for you while you were uh, teaching during this pandemic? Well, first off, I don't think any martial arts school was prepared for the pandemic. And for me especially, we had to adapt to using zoom um and other formats of virtual meeting at first eventually we were able to transition outside but i think i think the biggest thing for me is i had to become adaptable with how i present the information to people um i realized that you know if I wanted to do a, a Zoom class. I really could have. And, and that was another avenue of of teaching people, you know, our style. So I feel like the pandemic has really stressed using all available options in order to reach people to teach them martial arts. And we did a lot of different things, such as, you know, we did social media um, challenges. Uh, we did... Uh, a lot of classes outside. And I, I think the students got a lot out of it. And strangely, our school actually grew during the pandemic, uh, where a lot of schools, unfortunately, were able, you know, they had to close. Yeah. Did you, uh, I know we had a lot of fun the pandemic. You and I both did some mashups. Yes, sir. That was uh, fun. We'll get those on our social media so people can see some of the things that we did. Um, they are, uh, you know, our super producer, Bonnie actually put ours together Bonnie at the school. So uh, so did you look online and see what some of the others, I know I did a little bit. We were fortunate, we were outside most of the time. Uh, we just went to a park. I actually didn't um, charge tuition. People still paid me because I still had to pay rent, but uh, the governor was kind enough in North Carolina to say we could be in, in a park if you're over six feet. and. So we really limited the forms practice. Did you go online and and see what some of the others were doing? Um, like I saw some of the MMAs uh, competitors do like these single person uh, drills. Wait, you mean MMA people were doing forms? Well, I wasn't gonna go down that path, but hey, let's go down it since we're there. So I saw that too. It was interesting to see when people who were used to training martial arts with a person weren't able to be with a person, how they had to use solo choreographed drills in order to practice. And in a lot of traditional martial arts, forms, kata, whatever you want to call them, are done for that very same purpose. And a lot of modern martial arts feel like, or, like forms are outdated. Like why practice them? Because they have no use. And I, and I find it very interesting now that that has come back COVID. What are exactly forms? Is it just like, cause I know that it was on the topic of like solo person drills or are they solo person, solo person drills or. 
Forms are this is this is my own personal moniker. I I like to use this term when I'm teaching students. They are a formulated operative rehearsal movement. So what you're doing is you're training your body to move in a certain way. Forms have a tendency to teach body mechanics, mm-hmm. weight distribution, stances, uh, various techniques and punches and kicks, ground fighting, whatever that you're doing in your particular system. And they're usually done, uh, they can be done with a person and they can be done solo. Mm-hmm. And you can also do them with weapons. So for traditional martial artists, they would use these as another training tool. Now that's not the only training tool, but it's a big training tool in order to kind of give you the encyclopedia of movements. Okay. So we have to realize that the people that were learning these arts were illiterate and unable to, you know, read at one point. And of course, you know, that's changed, you know, our society has changed, but, but back in the day, um, it was easier to kind of show people uh, or pass on a, list of movements through through a form. And that's how you would teach your students and that's how your legacy would continue with your martial art a lot of times. Now, forms are not as prominent as they once were because of, you know, MMA, um, but uh, forms still do have a usage in the martial arts today. Okay. I look at forms and I, I see two different ones that are, are there. Uh, encyclopedic forms where the moves may or may not flow next to each other. In other words, it wouldn't be off like one specific attack, but it would be more of an encyclopedia of moves. And then there are forms that are could be done, say, two-person, where an attack is given and a defense and then an attack and defense, and it goes back and forth. So that's kind of the way we look at forms with the martial arts. Did you do... Uh, so I didn't do Zoom. So... How was how was doing Zoom? How did you find that experience? Frustrating. If you're <laughs> not used to using Zoom or used to teaching people through a monitor, it was probably one of the most frustrating aspects about the pandemic. I feel like it's difficult to teach somebody a martial art when you're not there in person. You can do the movement, you can explain the movement, but when you're not there with them to correct it or they're not there to see you uh, in person, it can be very frustrating and difficult, especially for kids. But like you said before, you know, we had to adapt and say, hey, you know, maybe we'll use some social media mashups or we'll do a challenge this week where, you know, record yourself doing this form or record yourself doing these techniques and send it in. And, you know, whoever has the best, they'll get a prize or you know, I will critique you. So things like that, we kind of had to do in order to to keep people interested. But I felt like trying to teach new techniques and new things via Zoom was possible, but very, very, very difficult. Did you have anybody break any furniture while they were doing it? Actually, I'm not going to name anybody, but we did have somebody who may or may not have broken <laughs> our tablet because the gentleman got frustrated with Zoom. So yes, we had some people break some things out of frustration, but uh, it was a fun time. Well, that's cool. Uh, I know I just through videos like power control and uh, you know emphasis in the strike and some things I, I would find challenging just even through videos. Um, 
so I can imagine that was that was probably a a really hard hard thing to to try to figure out. And you see some people now they've kind of figured out the aspect of the Zoom uh, training, and some people really like it. But for me personally, I'm a little bit more old school, so I prefer to do things in person. Mm-hmm. So, but but I, I, I applaud the people who have their schools and who are now doing Zoom sessions because that's opened up another stream of revenue for for um, the school, and it's also been able to reach other people in the country uh, doing their martial arts. So, kudos to them. I know you've also done uh, some other seminars uh, given by some of the people we know in New York and others. How how were they? handled over the Zoom? Um, I thought they did a great job. Shout out to Shifu Greg Zilb and Authentic Shaolin Kung Fu. Uh, a lot of times we uh, would hop on and, and do seminars with them and some of my students have done seminars with them. And uh, Shifu Greg does a great job of presenting the information. Um, we were able to, to, to gain a lot from those seminars. Um, and I think maybe the difference could be the fact that we do have experience. So we were able to kind of pick up things a little faster. Um, I feel like people who maybe are not as experienced in the martial arts maybe would have a little trouble doing Zoom. So, you know, at the end of the day, it just kind of depends on who you are and how you learn. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I I thought some people some people just were able to do Zoom and stuff and just just really just make it work. Me and my school, not so much. Hmm. Okay. well. Because I was just thinking about how colleges around um, around the world were kind of doing things through Zoom when the pandemic hit. For example, like CP, I mean, for automotive, besides just the software that we had, you know, Electude and stuff like that, which are just basic software that kind of teaches you through modules, you couldn't really do anything through person. Like, I don't know one teacher that did anything through Zoom in the automotive department, at least, because how are you supposed to teach that? And it's awesome hearing how you guys still were able to, well, you, Delmar, were still able to, you know, use Zoom and still get around that sort of thing. Even, you know, Chris going outside. I mean, you guys are still able to do that in terms as if, you know, the automotive department just couldn't because we didn't have access to the resources. You know, how am I supposed to learn how to do a, a procedure if, you know, I don't have the tools in front of me or, you know, I don't want to risk doing this on somebody else's or doing this on mine because, you know, I wouldn't want to break anything in a controlled environment where, you know, things can just be replaced. I mean, Chris being an instructor in automotive could tell you that, you know, there are plenty of kids that might do something on their own car, then break it. And then he has to either fix it or or he knows a way of how to just jury rig something to get home, etc. So uh, <laughs> I do worry, uh, you know, I was working on one and had a hard time getting a, a strut out and um, someone who actually had some automotive experience come up. He's like, well, we cut the spring. I'm like, we're not cutting the spring. That's the way to kill someone. We're not cutting the spring. So that came up several times and that did kind of worry me in the end. So uh, I was fortunate. Um, I was preparing to do Zoom, but since they said we could meet at parks uh, and there was one right down and they said, as long as you're six feet apart, wearing masks, we were fine. So we we were able to transition outside. Unfortunately, weren't able to get the contact for a good good six months. So sparring and some of the other things were were put on hold. Very interesting how you handled the pandemic. Thank you so much. And so on to you, Coven. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Uh, how do you think the automotive uh, 
industry handled the pandemic. And what I mean is, you know, racing, car shows, uh, how do you, you know, SEMA had to be canceled, for example. Um, a lot of the big car shows had to be canceled, but I know a lot of local ones popped up. How did they handle all of that? How, because you're more plugged into that scene than I am. So first, what I'm going to start with, uh, I'm going to start with just the automotive industry altogether. So a lot of the guys when the pandemic hit, they just assumed business was going to be slow. You know, nobody's buying cars on the lot. You know, nobody's buying cars at all. But, but they like, were still deemed essential personnel. And everybody was still, yeah, exactly. Everybody was still, well, at this point, who wasn't deemed essential? Uh, but they deemed a lot of people, uh, especially the whole automotive industry was deemed essential. Um, but the crazy thing about it was, it, like, and everybody was like, ah, you can't sell a car during the pandemic and everything like that. That was the complete opposite of what happened. Places like Carvana or Vroom or um, even you could sell a car off Facebook Marketplace and somebody was coming to get it the next day. Um, it Everybody completely went a 180 of what everybody believed it was. You know, um, for example, I sold and bought cars during the pandemic. Um, and, you know, you were just finding a regular buyer. It's just like nothing ever happened. Um, you had people who, you know, Carvana popped up and they went from I just throwing share numbers just, you know, because I think anybody can tell by share numbers how big they popped up. They went from being worth around like $60 a share to $200 a share because people just started buying cars because the way to do it is just do it online. Carvana allows you to have a 360 view of the car and, you know, look at defects and stuff like that on the car. And people were just taking off. Carvana started hiring people during the pandemic. While they were, while other people were laying people off or dealerships were laying off, Carvana was just picking people up because they needed more people. They were selling out cars like it was nothing because it's online, it's contactless, and all you need is a credit card. And that's, you know, that's all you can do nowadays. COVID, why do you think people were buying more cars? I mean, seems like people weren't really traveling a whole lot during the pandemic, at least from my point of view. Um, do you just feel like people just were bored and they decided they wanted to spend money or maybe they thought they can get a better deal? The funny part is I actually know a lot of people that are like go to a dealership just to like test drive a car and then that's it. That's the only reason why they came was just to test drive a car. People will get bored. And during the pandemic, I mean, you know, people were just inside cooped up and didn't know what to do. So a lot of people were like, hmm. I've got an old car outside. We don't want to see, you know, just what I could do. You know, let me just see what prices I could get. And they probably walked themselves into a good deal because pandemic hit and everybody was trying to sell cars. So they walked into a good deal and they're like, you know what? Sure, I'll take a 2017 Toyota Camry. And then they bought it. And then they got shipped to their house, delivered and dropped off and signed off on it. And there you go. They had a new Camry. And they and Carvana is also good because what they'll do is they'll just they'll still take your trade. So they'll estimate your trade and they'll just tow that back to the dealership uh, back to the, uh, cause they've got one in Concord, North Carolina. I think you make a really good point about how uh, not necessarily, I'm not going to say people got bored, but if you're told you're going to work at home for the next foreseeable future, say 18 months minimum, mm -hmm. and you have two cars and you're, you know, a husband and a wife, then why not get rid of one car? So, or why not uh, upgrade? You have, you know, why not upgrade or why not, you know, make this, uh, make this happen. That's a, that's a really good point. How do you think the, the car show and the, uh, the competition side of it, racing, uh, handled the pandemic? So I'll start with meats. 
So car meets kind of just got, um, I mean, at first everybody was stuck inside. Nobody wanted to go out. And then after a while, people just started meeting with their friends. They were like, hey, we're going to go down to, you know, cookout or we're going to go down to whatever place or boba shop or whatever. And, you know, more and more people just started doing it. Uh, one good example was uh, in Charlotte, there's a place, there's Applebee's that everybody would go to. And I mean, they were big meats. I mean, you'd have a lot of big people come and, you know, just big people. Give big people in the Charlotte car community, I'll say that, come out, you know. Well, who are some people in the Charlotte car community? Because I don't, I don't, you know, who would you say that is? Uh, yeah, well, there's a lot of, for example, um, Blackie with the tickets. Um, and these are all Instagram handles. I'll be honest. I don't know people by real names. Um, he usually threw out a lot of uh, a lot of pop up meets at like T Fusion or that Applebee's. Uh, T Fusion just a local boba spot in Charlotte. And um, guys like uh, Cuban Media or F30 Eli, uh, they would post, they, I remember F30 Eli and Cuban Media posted like one time. They posted at like five o'clock, like, hey, everybody, let's come to this boba shop. And when I mean the parking lot was packed, I mean, you had guys with Supras, GTRs, and this is just, it just a four, four hours. And next thing you know, I mean, you have a meat that's popping. Delmar. So what do you guys do at the meets? Do you just get together and just look at each other's cars? Do you talk about cars? Like, because a meet to me sounds like what a Kung Fu person would equivocate to like, you know, oh, let's get together and get our students together. We're going to spar or, hey, we're going to go to this tournament and do this and do that. So from my point of view, that's what a meet sounds like. But, you know, I just want to make sure I'm, I'm hearing it right. That's basically almost exactly what it was in terms of Hey, you know, you have buddies that just got a brand new car. By the way, temp tags, they just never expired during the pandemic. I just want to point that out. Everybody was buying their car from South Carolina and just came on down. The amount of like I went to a meet last night, the amount of temp tags I saw out there was crazy because people are just buying cars. Once again, the pandemic, everybody started buying cars because they were cheap. And also people start selling cars because they needed money because the pandemic hit. That's also a reason why a lot of cars got sold. Um, but people would come out to these meets and we just chill. I mean, we just sit out there. We just talk. Um, for example, I met a guy last night with a um, with a Nissan uh, S13, which is just it's just a car for most of you guys that are listening. Um, but it's a really nice car for the car scene. And I was just talking with him. And, you know, I didn't even know his name. I just knew his Instagram handle and uh, talked to him. And, you know, I was talking to him about this meet that I'm trying to do in August and we're just talking, having a good time. And we don't know each other at all, but we bond over cars. Just like how, you know, if you guys go to competitions or whatever, you guys could just be talking with a guy and say, oh, you know, that's a really technique that that guy just did. And you're like, yeah, I think it was. And then next thing you know, you know, you're just talking with some guy. Next thing you know, you trade uh, information and you're connected through another martial arts school. That's the same way that we are down here is we're just connected with other people's cars. There's a whole, but I don't know a lot of people in the car community but they might know me or I might know them, but they don't know a lot of people. They might only hang out with six friends, but they've got, you know, 3000 followers in Charlotte because their Instagram handles on their car. And people are like, that's a really nice car. I'm gonna follow that guy. You know? Wow. Uh, I have to start coming to these meets with you. You should. It's almost like I invited you. Yeah. Well, (laughs) 
we're hoping to start these podcasts on day of your meet, so people will get to hear a little bit of the past. August first, so, the day the podcast the day. should be dropping. But you're right. You know, so how about competition? I mean, iRacing was really big. I really enjoyed watching. I half the time I thought I was actually watching them mm-hmm. on TV. NASCAR really did a great job with the. Uh, North Wilkesboro race. People mm-hmm. got to see North Wilkesboro run in an 80s configuration where you had pits on the front and the back stretch, uh, which changed in the mid 90s. So, how do you think other competition comes in? What do you what do you think of iRacing? So I'm glad you said that because I was just about to move to the racing portion. Um, iRacing alone. Excuse did, me. Excuse me. I hate to interrupt, but what is iRacing? So iRacing. Is almost in the name. It's is iRacing. Um, let me explain. Imagine you're, you know, you're a race car driver and you know, you used to go around the track and everything like that. One place that they simulate all that sort of thing is with iRacing. iRacing is basically just software where the tracks are loaded in, the tracks have these configurations with them, the cars are loaded in, all the handling are in there, uh, and they have, I mean, a lot of cars because they're all simulating racing from IMSA, which is a organization to, uh, I believe F1 is not a part of them, but IndyCar definitely is NASCAR is they've got their stuff loaded in, uh, the Miata cup series, Trans Am. I don't just throwing a lot of like words out there, but they're all just racing organizations. So to clarify a little bit and I racing, you can do everything from just your laptop Mm-hmm. So you can have an entire what they call a rig, which is a essentially a race car built. You'll have your racing seat. Mm-hmm. It'll have uh, the, the wheel simulators where your seat will turn six as you monitors, go through corners. Six monitors set up. Six monitors around. You see so everything you see around. Everything around yep. your car. You're in your full race suit. And so these are the, the big money sims mm-hmm. are owned by the teams. And, and they do. You know, racing is something you can't practice. Yeah. Uh, we just can't uh, go to the track and rent it and go racing because everything is going to be different. Because even if you rent a track on one day and that day you're supposed to race, we didn't really hope that Charlotte was going to rain when we ran the Charlotte race. I actually hoped it would rain, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, but we didn't know, so but we, we had simulate. no practice on that track. Mm-hmm. We had to go out there in a car we had never driven on that track before. Uh, in the rain, which made it exceptionally challenging. And, um, you know, but that's another story about our race. And we couldn't get told in this podcast over and over. And but. we couldn't simulate that any type of way. iRacing, even if iRacing had a Pulsar in there, we couldn't simulate because, you know, it can't simulate rain, um, the rain conditions that we had that day. Because it could be raining light, it could be raining hard. Um, but iRacing is the best for a dry day iRacing is picked up for a lot of like NASCAR guys. They build these sims and they have these rigs and that's how some of them practice. When the pandemic hit and NASCAR stopped practice altogether, that's how they practice. They practice online and just would load up the track, um, put the configuration on, you know, time of day, you know, track uh, temp heat, you know, stuff like that and just practice. And iRacing built a platform off of that. And it's a subscription site. So basically what you're telling me is that professional NASCAR drivers were pretty much playing video games and practicing for their sport. Yes. Literally, that's exactly what Not was going on. Not just NASCAR, but IndyCar, every form yep. of racing. 
IndyCar did the exact same thing where they would also actually take the broadcast that was, you know, in the game and everything like that and broadcast that on Fox, NBC. And that was what we were watching on Sundays or Saturdays is we weren't watching a race because of the pandemic. We were watching an online virtual race that took place at tracks that even we couldn't even go to North Wilk, uh, North Wilkesboro. Like you just said, that track hasn't been open for NASCAR since what? The 90s, 90s. early 2000s, 90s, yeah. since the 90s. And they load, they scan the track. What they'll do is they'll go out. Oh, it's a full fledged thing. They'll go out, scan the track, load that into the computer. The computer makes all of the generate generates everything. And then boom, you're going racing on a car that they also scanned and generated and everything is it's all simulation even crowd sounds mm-hmm. wow flag and waving everything is it, it, pit stops just, just get on youtube and watch a couple of them you'll yep. think you're watching a race you will think that you're watching a race and i also want to shout out the fact that fox and nbc had to make this change and they made it quick but did they make it look and seem like an actual race they sure did the commentators never skipped a beat it was all the same it was they had they put on a good performance for what they had to do during the pandemic. They did a real good out. job. It was it was a really good job. Uh, and even Jeff Gordon got back in a simulator side by side with uh, Clint Boyer, mm-hmm. and he wrecked out of the race at one point. And you even had Rage quit. Uh, Bubba Wallace lost a sponsor at one point because mm-hmm. he just quit. He just cut his computer <laughs> off. And they and they did not. They did not. It was Blue Emu. And they did not, they just didn't like the fact that he quit because they're paying for that sponsorship. And it's a two-sided thing. Why would you be in a race that you know, you know, you can't be a part of, but also you have a sponsor that paid to be on there for the whole race. They want to be on there the whole race. Um, but it was serious and everything was serious. It's, it's, a uh, and some racers have come up that way. Um, William Byron, mm-hmm. um, now he did race, but he was noticed by Dale Earnhardt Jr. as an exceptional iRacer. And, uh, and he's in NASCAR now. Mm-hmm. He's got a few wins in NASCAR. Born and raised in Charlotte. Hendrick. Wow, that's impressive. And uh, Rick Allen will always say, oh, you know, well, here comes William Byron, whose racing career started on a computer. Because that's exactly how it did. You know, he raced in real life, but most of his racing that he got noticed from was just on iRacing. Because iRacing is the real deal for if you want to hop into a race car and you can't actually afford to hop into a race car, that's the real, that's the most real deal thing you can get. It uh, has helped out lesser known teams mm-hmm. were able, Timmy Hill had won a race and he's, uh, he doesn't drive the best equipment in NASCAR. Mm-hmm. He got a sponsorship because he did win a race. So that helped his stock as a race car driver. Uh, Parker Kligerman. Uh, has an Emmy, and they've showed that he had an Emmy. He's usually a pit reporter, but he is a race car driver also, and that helped him get a ride in the truck series doing the iRacing. So this is a good thing, and now it's actually broadcast. You can catch it on FS2 and some of the other Mm -hmm. uh, sports networks. And actually, before we probably move off, one thing about iRacing that people didn't know before iRacing became such a big hit, at least in the racing community, was that NASCAR actually had an iRacing series and still has an iRacing series. So you know how there's a Cup Series, Truck Series, Xfinity Series? They had an iRacing series before it became like this pro invitational. And NASCAR actually just made a big partnership with iRacing to be their premier sponsor for, um, for simulation. And 
these guys would win uh, $100,000. It was either $100,000. It was a large sum of money. But these were racers that around the country had really never stepped into an actual race car, but were racing against 40 other guys of the same caliber. And they were doing it to, to win points, win money. And they were getting real sponsorships. Guys were sitting at home getting real sponsorships during the pandemic, racing a virtual car on a virtual track. Wow. If you had never told me that, I would have never known that. All right. Well, I think we uh, I think we covered the pandemic special pretty well. Yes, sir. A um, couple of little facts like like to end with some history uh, in Kung Fu history. Late 19th century, Kung Fu came to Okinawa. Uh, a Japanese gentleman, uh, Kang Ro, Kang, I'm probably mispronouncing that. Uh, he had traveled to China, studied at the temple, and then he went back to Okinawa. And that's he brought back that knowledge. And they started uh, karate, which originally stood for China hand, not empty hand. Back at that point in car history, in 1899, Columbia was an electric car maker. They actually started to put in 4,000 charging stations across New York City. At that time, the electric car was the preferred uh, fuel, for lack of a better term, before they started burning gasoline and steam. The electric car was the preferred vehicle to get around. You had a range of about 20 miles, and then you would have to charge it. But in New York City, as you know, in the horse and buggy days, they would use these for deliveries. They would have delivery trucks, could run out, pick up things, deliver them back, put the vehicle right on charge, and go on from there. So that's all the time we have for our show. Thank you so much for listening. Look us up on social media. We'll post some of those pandemic things that we have done. I again, want to thank our super producer, uh, Bonnie. She does such a fantastic job. We're coming to you from her living room. I mean, recording studio right in uh, Mint Hill, North Carolina. And we'll join you next time for some more exciting Kung Fu car talk. Thank you.